Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of our talk on complications of therapy in the small bowel and how they can mimic pathology. In the first session, we spoke about several things, including uh, chemotherapy. Uh, we spoke about graft-versus-host disease, and we just started to talk about uh, issues related to radiation enteritis, and let's talk about that in more detail. I mentioned that radiation issues have been around for a long time, though they're less frequent. One of the things and one of the challenges at times is to be able to not overcall processes or not overcall tumor recurrence when it simply changes related to the therapy like radiation. Now, radiation enteritis typically occurs in the field. So if you have radiation to the right lower quadrant, you're not going to see changes in the left upper quadrant. Obviously, with chemotherapy, it could be anywhere. But with radiation, it really matches the port. So things that are important to do is think what the patient's primary was. So if the patient had a history of a cecal cancer and a right hemicolectomy, you would expect changes in that region. If the patient had a rectal cancer and radiation, you might think about the small bowels falling into the pelvis. When you think about radiation enteritis, the appearance is this. Thick and small bowel, prominent vasa recta. The bowel can show areas of stricture. You can show proximal dilatation of the bowel. You can have a halo, and halos are classic in radiation enteritis, just like halos were classic with chemotherapy, and, and halos were classic with Crohn's disease, and halos were classic with graft-versus-host disease. So the halo itself tells you there's bowel pathology, though it's not specific. And you can look at this case, and if you said, well, could this be Crohn's? It's kind of extensive, really doesn't look like Crohn's, but could this be um, chemotherapy-induced enteritis? That would be a possibility. Another example, patient who had colon cancer and had resection, you can see the bowel in the right lower quadrant, submucosal edema. So one thing I see more prominent in radiation enteritis is the submucosal edema. So that's typically a very good sign. You may see increased prominence of the fat, particularly in patients who've had resection. Obviously, some patients don't get resection and simply get radiation therapy. The vessels are patent here, so you're not thinking about a vasculitis due to ischemia. Here's another patient who had a history of colon cancer. You see clips in the right lower quadrant. You see adherence of the bowel loop, so that's maybe something more common with radiation because it's often after surgery that the bowel loops tend to be adherent. They commonly will dilate in part because patients could develop adhesions. And you can have long segment involvement, but again, the involvement tends to be in the area where the patient had radiation therapy. Outside of the therapy port, you can see dilated bowel, as you can see in this example, because simply what happens with radiation, the bowel also develops strictures. And again, very nice example of the terminal ileum and the extent of involvement in the patient post-radiation therapy. Another good example, same case, the axial images, the coronal images, nicely show you the process really focused in the right lower quadrant. And here's another example showing you the same thing. One of the things, of course, here's some of the reconstructions with 3D. You see the regularity of the bowel wall. As I mentioned, you do get a halo effect, and halos are common in radiation enteritis, but I think the submucosal enhancement is probably more impressive in some of the other uh, disease processes rather than radiation. 
Here's another patient, cervical cancer, had radiation, and sure enough, here are the bowel loops, they're dilated, they begin to get adherent, small bowel obstruction will not be uncommon, there's lots of fluid in the bowel with radiation enteritis, there's inflammatory processes, so there's more fluid, and you can see here very nicely the thickening of the bowel folds and what looks like implants in the left lower quadrant on the image in the upper right. Here's another patient, cervical cancer. Again, thickening of the small bowel. Uh, you can see it's particularly in the distal ilium. You can see the cervical cancer. But again, a very typical appearance for radiation enteritis. Now, acute radiation enteritis occurs in the majority of patients. Uh, they may present with diarrhea, tenesmus, cramping, and incontinence. Diarrhea may start as early as three weeks from the start of radiation therapy. Fortunately, these symptoms usually resolve uh, when radiation therapy is stopped. In the acute phase, the primary effect of radiation is on mucosal stem cells within the intestinal crypts. Radiation therapy can cause damage to these stem cells and as a result, cause mucosal atrophy with intestinal inflammation, edema, and decreased absorptive area. Dilated small bowel loops are common with thickened walls and perhaps the target sign. Acute radiation colitis can present, uh, again, with a range of symptoms. It can be both large and small bowel involvement. So it's very important to really understand the processes going on in your patient. And again, you want to make certain that you suggest that because often the rec's not going to say question radiation enteritis. It's going to say abdominal pain or acute abdomen. No one's going to think about that. We also have what's called chronic radiation enteritis, which is seen usually at least 8 to 12 months after radiation therapy. It could occur even years after radiation therapy. Uh, these include complications like diarrhea, malabsorption, fistulae, and partial or complete bowel obstruction. These changes are usually related to the increased collagen deposition within the wall of the bowel, making it thickened and fixed. So typically, we'll be dealing with acute radiation enteritis, but you can have chronic enteritis. So if patients are symptomatic and you see diseased bowel and the patient's been way past therapy and they're doing well, you might want to consider this possibility. So again, a challenge of chronic radiation, it causes strictures, it causes inflammation. So the challenge, of course, is tumor recurrence versus complications from surgery versus radiation changes. So again, is not always going to be the easiest diagnosis. It's very important to remember with radiation changes, as I mentioned, it could be chronic, but also these days with patients often getting combination therapies, as I mentioned, pancreatic cancer gets radiation and chemotherapy and then surgery, it's often hard to figure out which of the three is the problem area. But again, uh, thinking about those possibilities will make it a bit easier. It's also important to remember, as I showed you some cases, that there's increased attenuation of the mesentery. Uh, it's almost like an inflammatory process in the mesentery. And again, we spoke about the halo effect. The reason I show this case, Dave Blumke, the editor of radiology, myself, Janet Coleman, who's University of Wisconsin, I think is retired now, Ava Zinreich, was radiation therapist at Hopkins and GBMC, who's also retired, and is my next door neighbor. So this paper is 30 some odd years old, but it was pretty, pretty accurate then. It was one of Dave's uh, great radiographic articles. 
The same article, distension of the bowel lumen with contrast material is critical for evaluation of radiation-induced changes. This does make the point, like we say today, positive contrast is often very valuable in making the correct diagnosis. What about this case? We're looking at thickened bowel, we're looking at halo, we're looking at a misty mesentery. We're looking at long segment involvement, prominent vessels. You can see the vessels off the SMA. You look at it on MIP, again, the mucosal enhancement of that ileal loop, fairly extensive, prominent vasorecta. So what are we thinking about? Did this patient get chemotherapy? Did the patient get radiation therapy? Did the patient have a bone marrow transplant? Does this patient have Crohn's disease? Does the patient have ischemia? What exactly is going on in this patient with an acute abdomen? You see multiple small mesenteric nodes. You see the prominence of the vessels, the vasorecta, very nicely shown to you on the cinematic rendering. And so you're thinking about many different possibilities. Well, then when you speak to the patient, it was noted that they just had been worked up with their cardiologist for hypertension and was started on medication. And then you say, aha, this is small bowel enteritis due to ACE inhibitors. In this case, it was acinopril. It's so interesting. Mike Fedley wrote about this. ACE inhibitors, typically within 12 to 36 hours, you present with an acute abdomen. It looks like ischemic bowel. It looks like the worst-looking bowel you've seen. Um, could simulate many of the things I spoke about this morning. But again, oh my God, the patient may go to the OR. Well, the way you treat patients who have this reaction to ACE inhibitors is simply stop the ACE inhibitors and they will be fine within a day. Look at this other example. Look at the prominence of the duodenum and the jejunum. Look at the thickening and edematous changes of the folds. Look how extensive it is. That is indeed pretty impressive. Again, that uh, mucosal edema. Again, many things come to your mind. And this is a very important example because this patient could end up in surgery for ischemic bowel. The vessels look good, but look how bad the bowel loops are. Look at the prominent vasorecta. Maybe someone's worried about ischemia. They should be. But again, the vessels are patent. There was no occlusion. And the key finding is the patient's uh, which were just recently put on hypertensive medication with ACE inhibitors. Now, the reason this is often a challenge, besides it's a difficult case, is the patients come to the ER with an acute abdomen. So now you're evaluating an acute abdomen, and perhaps you don't think about these possibilities. But look how impressive the bowel looks, and I'm showing you a number of different images to really give you a feel it looks basically like the small bowel loops are lining up in a patient with obstruction or a mid-gust valvulus. The difference here, of course, is the prominent wall enhancement and mucosal enhancement, which you wouldn't see with a malrotation and an internal hernia. So this was due to ACE inhibitors. Another case, again, very similar. There's free fluid present, markedly thickened proximal bowel. Look how thick that is. And look how extensive the bowel involvement is. Ascites, thickened bowel, prominent vessels. Again, you're going through all of your differential diagnosis. But you got to think about medication. Here it is so nicely shown on the cinematic rendering, the edema of the fold pattern. And this again was angioedema due to ACE inhibitors. 
And angioedema, just a beautiful term, really can simulate other processes. If you don't think about it, you're not going to make the diagnosis. And again, with the diagnosis, treatment is simply stopping the medication. Angioedema is a clinical description of inflammation-mediated edema in the dermis of subcutaneous tissues owing to increased permeability across capillaries, can involve the skin and respiratory and GI tract, and generally resolves after 24 hours, assuming the medication is stopped. Pathophysiology of angioedema may be allergic or kinin-induced. Uh, ACE inhibitors block bradykinin degradation, leading to ACE inhibitor-induced angioedema, which has been well described. And again, it's under-recognized by healthcare professionals. Again, patients are coming to the ER. They typically don't say, oh, yes, I started a new medication yesterday. So it's something important to ask, to think about. You may not always be right. You may call the ER and say, is this patient on ACE inhibitors? Is this a new drug? Now, I have to admit that you can get this uh, whole process of angioedema on patients who've been on ACE inhibitors for a while as well. That's less common. It's usually a brand new uh, treatment. ACE inhibitors are a leading cause of drug-induced angioedema in the U.S., accounting for up to 40% of all the emergency department visits for angioedema annually. So it's something you really need to know about. In a majority of cases, symptoms resolve in 48 hours, 24 to 48, after discontinuation of the culprit medication. What an easy treatment, okay? Very easy to do. Now, uh, other important things to always remember, again, is clinical history. We think about Crohn's, we think about ischemia, we think about infectious etiologies, we think about infiltration by tumor. Those are all very important, and those are likely possibilities for small bowel pathology, but you got to think of these other possibilities. Now, one thing, um, we spoke about radiation, which involves the bowel that's within the therapy ports. We spoke about graft-versus-host disease, usually distal bowel. And then when we talk about ACE inhibitor-induced angioedema, we typically think more about small bowel, typically jejunum. So that can be a very helpful finding. Now, it's also true that uh, patients uh, can get this angioedema in other areas, including the head and neck region. But again, think about that possibility. Um, and as, as I mentioned, there's a range of medications, and I won't go through that. So we've gone through several things, post-BMT, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and ACE inhibitors. Obviously, I can go through many more different drug reactions, whether it's chemotherapy drugs or it's hypertensive drugs, a lot of different drugs. We could talk about things that relate to infectious etiologies. We can talk about tiflitis, I mentioned, but that's typically cecum, may involve the small bowel as well. We could talk about other things that relate to the surgery itself, ischemia, if vessels are occluded, but that really isn't the medication side of things and the treatment side of things. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. Again, it's a pitfall. If you don't think about it, you won't make the diagnosis. But if you think about it, you may make the diagnosis and really help that individual patient. So with that, I thank you for your attention.
If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.